This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome to a Monday night post Super Bowl edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Last NFL centric episode of the season. Um, and I could not think of anyone else to do this with. And Eric Edholm of Pro Football Weekly. Eric, good evening. How are you, sir? The post mortem, huh? I'm I'm the uh, the NFL corner, if you will. I'm I'm giving you the the uh, the deets on on everything that went down. I guess. I mean, that's what I'm hoping, man. I, I, <laughs> I we can talk about the Hawks and the Suns game from Saturday night, if you'd like. Sure. And Trey Young's I, crazy four point. I wouldn't play. be able to give you much. Yeah, I wouldn't be able okay. to provide any analysis. So I'd rather uh, we stick the football route. <laughs> All right. We don't have to talk about Josh Jackson being maybe a sneaky good playmaker off the dribble. He just can't shoot free throws, but he can do other stuff. Good at corner threes now. No, we're not going to do any of that. That's for a later podcast. No, we're going to talk about a game last night where um, a lot of people were not happy. It goes back to this is why I think the NBA is in a really good place these days. And um, things like the NFL, like people just like offense and they really really despise bad offense. I think even more than they appreciate good defense because I was listening to the PFF guys today and their takes are always very different than what everybody else is talking about, which is why I appreciate mm-hmm. them so much because Rich Eisen, um, who friend of the pod, Chris Brockman, all those guys, um, spent a lot of the show today talking about the absence of Todd Gurley and his, um, just the, the uncertainty regarding his injury stuff. But, their take was like it just he couldn't pass block so it was a schematic thing of like they couldn't put him out there because the just the patriots were blitzing a bunch um which just sending five or more on a bunch of different plays i think golf was pressured like 48 percent of his dropbacks last night and uh i think got hit 12 times and it was just it was bad so they just couldn't have somebody like Gurley in the game that often because he's not a good pass blocker that's really what it came down to it's just like they had to try and protect golf and he was just not good uh, when he's under pressure. It turns out quarterbacks who are kind of not elite um, struggle when you get pressure on them in, at the right time. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jared Goff got a little bit exposed early in that game and late too. I mean, look, I, 
you know, he's got a lot of things he, he needs to work on. And I think a lot of people recognize that after watching that game. I mean, he, I was at the Saints Rams game in New Orleans. I saw him make some, some, frankly, some heroic plays in a really tough environment. And for me, it was, it felt like a turning point game for him. I, I, I doubted him coming in. I thought there were holes in his game. I thought he kind of needed his hand held at times, uh, you know, much like Mitch Trubis- Trubisky was doing, uh, was, was being done with uh, in Chicago with Matt Nagy. Other young quarterbacks have to do those sorts of things. They don't have elite physical skills or that sort of thing, or just improvisational ability uh, like a Patrick Mahomes does. And he needs help too. I mean, everybody, every quarterback needs to be put in favorable position. So on the one hand, Goff comes up a little short. On the other, McVay also, I thought, never found that change up. You know, never really found a way to kind of incorporate his best offensive skill players, uh, find a counter to what the Patriots doing were doing with their stunt and their twist games, um, and, and never found a way to incorporate the run other than those those back-to-back runs early in the third quarter. That was really the best. You know, Gurley had the runs of 16 and 5. Uh, yeah. you know, Patrick Chung gets hurt and it was like, wow, here comes a turning point. This is the Rams mm-hmm. getting their game going. It just never happened in that game. Yeah. Um, the sneaky little thing about this Rams team that people weren't really talking about going in was that their offensive line, although their five starters played over a thousand snaps together this season, they were not great down the stretch that this offensive line was not the offensive line that was just blowing people off the ball to start the year. Like they just gradually wore down. Um, Whitworth was still a stellar left tackle, pro bowler, all that kind of stuff. But you saw the center situation. Sullivan go like he got manhandled. You saw like their guard play not great. Like they they struggled. Like the offensive line is not what the offensive line was um, to start the year. And I thought um, it seems like more often than not, the, that's like the under talked about thing when for games like this, where I was thinking, you know. Golf is this is just a bad matchup for the Rams for a multitude of reasons. Mostly, uh, J.C. Jackson, who I believe had the best passer rating when targeted of any corners this season, is on one side, and then you have Stephon Gilmore, who had the big interception. He did get torched a couple times by Cooks, but he's another just unbelievable corner. You have the McCordy twins in the back and everything else, but like I, I didn't like the idea of Golf having to um, make quick decisions because ultimately the. Pats, I believe, were going to get pressure on this offensive line and just seeing what they did the last two weeks anyway and what they did to the Chargers and um, the Chiefs. I was like, I I just, I don't see a scenario where Goff is going to have a lot of time. And he did actually get a pretty fair amount of time. If you look at the seconds he had to throw before having to get it off, it was just nothing was open downfield. And when nothing's open because the corners and safeties are so good in New England that it's just he didn't know what else to do and he it was just it was sad because i felt like like you said they didn't have a change up they didn't have this alternative to like oh the middle of the field's gone uh we can't run the football our offensive line's yeah. getting wrecked by stunts and everything else that you're talking about and they just had to kind of take it and even still they were in that game and if cooks reels in that touchdown like maybe we we're talking about a different thing entirely but ultimately like you said, this uh, McMahon just—he just did not have an answer to what the Pats were throwing at them defensively, um, and the Pats got away with just a really bad offensive game from them. Like Brady was not good, and um, I had Hogan for uh, Super Bowl MVP before the game. I was one white receiver <laughs> off, man. I was so pissed. They even tried him. Like, they kept targeting him early, and I was like, it's coming. I'm ready. I'm ready. And then they just didn't because I was like, this 
it, it's not going to be a Brady thing again. This feels like the 2004 Pats when they invested in Corey Dillon in that 2004 season. He ran for like a career high for him that year. And that, that was their identity was just stellar offensive line play, um, running the ball. And then Dion Branch was like this lone deep threat. And then he goes off in the Super Bowl and he gets MVP. Um, that's what I was banking on with Hogan. But wrong wide receiver. It was uh, Julian Edelman who had like, what, nine grabs and over 100 yards. So he was great. But um, I don't know. It was it was just fun. And I, I just, to bring it back to that Rams offensive line stuff, that was the first thing I was writing my notes. I was like, oh. This is this is not good. I, I don't think the Rams can do anything here other than just kind of take this and hope Jared Goff can um, get his Patrick Mahomes on and do some uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes, those kind of guys were just kind of freelance on the fly, and that's just not his game. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, mean, I, I believe he's a system guy. I believe he needs to work within a structure. I believe he has to, and that's okay. You know, I mean, that's, that's not a knock. There are plenty of I mean, every quarterback on some level is a system quarterback, you know, Mm -hmm. even Patrick Mahomes, even Brett Favre worked within a scheme, but you know, it's what you can do within those schemes, how much time you can buy and and what your arm allows you to get away with, what your legs allow you to get away with, what your, your creativity and all that are. Goff's kind of limited in some of those things. You know, he doesn't have a rocket arm. He doesn't have, uh, you know, incredible plus athleticism. Um, I think, what the Patriots clearly saw is that the longer he held onto the ball, the more bad things happened. The sack, the mm-hmm. sack by Van Noy, how he doesn't throw that ball into the stands, I'll never know because he was outside the pocket. It was just plays like that that happened way too often um, that had nothing to do with the Rams' offensive line. But back to your point, yes, they didn't play great. Austin Blythe had a terrible game at right yeah. guard. Sullivan. You know, I, I I remember back in week what was it fourteen when they played the Bears. I was at that game and Got he left for yeah he left for a couple of series was hurt played terribly. This is a guy who's had major back problems in the past. Mm-hmm. Considered retirement. You know he's he's struggling to to deal with both quickness and power. He's a very smart, tough guy. But, you know, again, there's limitations there. Uh, I didn't think Roger Saffold played great in his final game before free agency. I didn't think Rob Havenstein played very, very well in, in certain spots. You know, again, I'd have to go through the tape and sort of, you know, nitpick these guys. Whitworth looked okay at, you know, face value. But it, I, I also go back to I think to it the... mattered. It was nitpicking is like if that's not like something that really set the tone and really had a drastic effect in the game. But I think it did and just they're grading the last couple weeks of the season and this playoffs. Like it's just, it's not the same offensive line. I think it's fair to point that out as like a big reason why this Rams team couldn't hold up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, it's a big area of concern. Now they did draft Joe Notaboom and a few other guys last year with the idea of, Hey, you know, we Sullivan could retire. Uh, Whitworth could retire. Yeah. Um, Saffold's a free agent. Blythe was a guy we didn't necessarily expect to start. Um, remember they made the trade. Um, I'm blanking on the guard. They traded away. Uh, uh, mm, this, this is it's been a long year. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, basically he's, he was a surprise starter there at right guard. So I think it was a lot of things going on in the last year where they said, let's draft a little depth and develop some guys, which is what they did. They've got Brian Allen who could be the starting center next year. We don't know, but I think that's one area that's going to go to the off season as, as a big question mark for the Rams. I think McVay can do better to help his team out and help his quarterback out too. And I don't want to make it seem like, Oh, you know, tough media guy is calling out the 30 or 33 year old whiz kid genius. No, it's, it, 
I think he admitted it last night. I got out of coach and too many slow developing plays that, you know, that didn't work out. Now, granted, the ball to Cooks in the end zone, McCord, Jason McCourty tipped away at the last second. That was the best pocket he had all night. It was clean right. and crisp. It was just the way you want it. And Goff threw a flutter ball that needed to be on mm-hmm. a line. It was, you know, it just it was a rainbow. And then that so, huge miss, the blown coverage that he just missed. And he, those are the things. He, he identified about that forever. him. He just didn't get the ball. Yeah, he's going to yeah. live, live that one for, you know, it's going to haunt his dreams. But you know, as will the zero pressure that, that, that led to the interception, those two plays stand out, um, you know, right. Before I have a take the for you too. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Cooper cup matters a lot more to the Rams than Todd Gurley. I, he, he was big now, granted. I mean, they still were able to have some big offensive games without him, but right. It, yeah. I mean, if you have him out there, he catches some of those balls that Reynolds didn't haul he in. He opens or, up those things of the middle. Like, he's just so good yeah. over the middle. Like, we were talking about Edelman and just what he was doing to the Rams defense and what he was basically doing all postseason. That's what Cooper Cup does. That's, yep. that's like, it's exactly, he's just a younger, faster version of him. And he's just so sure handed. And um, you can live without him in the regular season. But I think ultimately, not having him over the middle. Um, with how critical it is, because uh, I think Jared Goff is like a top three quarterback between the numbers and yep. uh, one of the bottom five outside. And we saw that on those balls that you're talking about that just kind of, those are really tough passes anyway, but those are the things that like Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and guys like that can just um, be dominant and great at. It's just harder when you're like a Kirk Cousins or um, those Andy Dalton's, those mid-tier quarterbacks that just, it, they just they're not there. Um, they can win you a lot of games, but asking them to go above and beyond in that front is just going to be uh, a, a big ask. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm over the Todd Gurley being a factor as to whether or not this team won this game. That was just, it was not it. It just, I, I don't think it matters if he's getting 20 carries. He was 10 carries, 35 yards. He wasn't effective. I think he was healthy. I just, I think it came down to the, what the PFF guys said that like Goff did not have time. That offensive line was getting blitzed over and over again. They couldn't handle it. Um, they were getting confused, and Todd Gurley was not going to be the guy to step up and um, pass protect. It was going to be Anderson over him, and yep. I really do think that's all it was. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think that was part of it, and, and you know, weren't able to get CJ in a rhythm, weren't able to get Todd in a rhythm uh, with the run game. They felt like, you know, they weren't willing to do what the Patriots did, which is open the game with five straight runs. They weren't willing to kind of adjust their game plan a little bit. And, and the Patriots loaded up their front, you know, I mean, they played kind of an old school four, three to start the game. They played a lot of zone early. It, it, I think it just caught them off guard. The team that played the most man defense, I think of, of any team in the NFL this season, totally switched up their defensive DNA for this game. And when they and saw that, they, they really that didn't know how to there. react. Like that? Matt Patricia did this to them in the Lions game. Like yeah. they, they should have seen that coming. That's the thing is, they this is not how they played all year but like that's the most belichickian thing ever to just call up his old defensive coordinator and be like so i saw this on tape that you guys really gave them problems okay you did this and that and then we're gonna make yep. adjustments like you you just knew that was coming over a two-week stretch so that's like yep. i don't know if i you're an nfl like that if mcveigh is the wonder kid he should have seen that coming right oh there were two game plans that i really felt kind of dictated what the patriots were going to do which was the Detroit game you mentioned, I know they gave up 30 points, but I think, you know, two touchdowns came in the last two or three minutes. It was something mm-hmm. like it was a 16-13 game into the fourth, I think. 
So Lions made them drive the entire field. You know, I mean, they really beat up those guys in the middle, that sort of thing. The other one was the Chicago Bears game the next very next week, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think Vic Fangio saw a lot of those concepts, used his personnel. I mean, they forced four turnovers in that game, a little different than what, uh, you know, the, the, the Patriots were able to do last night. I think they only had the one, but it was the same approach of, you know, let's, let's give them the underneath stuff and we'll see if they'll take it. And a young quarterback at some point is going to get a little antsy. Just like Goff did, he was going to try to hit the intermediate stuff that had been working the crossers, those man beaters all year, you know, all year long. That's what they did. They came in with a man beater offense. They left having no idea, you know, what to do. Their adjustments were way too late. So, yeah, those two game plans seem to be the blueprint of what New England copied to, to not copy, but but drew a lot from uh, to 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 play Sunday night, and then they switched it up a couple times at the end, went back to their man stuff blitzed a couple times made it work it was it was beautiful do you think the saints would have fared better because i do yeah yeah i do i mean i don't know that it, they would have necessarily won but i think it would have been a little bit more of an open game Drew Brees is so patient i mean the patriots would have played it far differently i think and and you know i, I just it's so interesting to think what the game might've been like had either the chiefs or the saints been in it. You know, what would, Mm -hmm. what would those, those respective teams have done? You know, could the Rams have been able to, you know, get into a more of an open game against that chiefs defense? Absolutely. Sure. Mm -hmm. Likewise, would the saints have been able to foil some of the stuff that Belichick did last night. You know, maybe their offensive line would have been a little bit more prepared to pick up those stunts. They're also just better. Ramsick, Armstead, uh, like uh, like that offensive line was just better. Like, I think they would have been better suited to handle it. Yep. And I just, I kind of wonder, it would have been a totally different game no matter what happened. You know, if we still had one of the participants from last night, but a different uh, opponent, I think it would have been a very... Very different feel, higher scoring game. I did not expect, you know, 13-3. <laughs> I was, I was yeah. counting the game to be in the low, you know, low 30s or high 20s or something like that, like most people did. So that shocked me. But, you know, even having said that, I think we would have arrived uh, at a far different place that had Breeze been there. Because Breeze is so good at at knowing when to strike. He'll take those mm-hmm. those six-yard checkdowns all day long. He's been doing it 100%. for years. 100%. Yeah. I just, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have cracked under the, oh God, they've taken away my number one. Great, let's go to number but I don't two think or they three. Can no one's taken away Michael Thomas? Like that's just one right. of those guys. I don't think you can take him away. Like I think he would have gotten his targets. I mean, he'd get his sixteen, seventeen targets, and he would go off. But like part of it is just Alvin Kamara and guys like that. Where I think ultimately he would have. It just like you said, like Drew Brees is like Tom Brady in that mold where he's very patient. He'll take what New England's giving him, and they would adjust. But Sean Payton's got to feel sick. Like Drew Brees in the dome against like just him thinking about only needing thir- uh, 16 points to beat the Pats. Like just, Oh God. And I understand the Rams had this great offense, but it was just a different team in the playoffs and everything. But this yep. Saints team was just, I, I, I just will never know for certain, but if I had to put money on it, if I could go into my crystal ball and just look at what would have happened if the Saints played the Pats, I think the Saints would have won this game. I think they might have, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was, I predicted the Saints Chiefs 
uh, matchup at the beginning of the playoffs, I just thought, you know what? These are the two best teams. I just, I, I felt pretty good about that. And obviously when the saints went up 13, nothing, I felt even better about that at that game. But, you know, they just didn't have – they kind of lacked that killer instinct a little bit. They had yeah. opportunities to put that game away before the bad call. So, I, I don't know. I don't know how much New England would have been able to hang on that Saints defense. Because, let's face it, as fired up as they were early in that game, they fed off the crowd noise and everything, they still gave up some pass plays. And Goff made a few big-time throws in that game. So, I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to see what Brady could have done – uh, you know, again, I think the screen game would have been a lot bigger in that one. I don't know. It's fascinating to think what the possibilities were uh, for Brady going up against the Saints defense and all that as well. And you know, maybe we would have had a little bit of a shootout. Just think, 80 years worth of quarterbacking in that game. A couple of, couple of guys who faced each other in the Big Ten in the 1990s would have been facing each other in a Super Bowl in 2019. What, what a country, you know, what, what an amazing concept. And these guys might still be around for several more years. Like they I just know. may never, they may never leave. It, it would, I mean, look, I think you and I and everybody else, as much as we love to see the young guys, the next generation of hotshot quarterbacks, it's fun, right? I like when the kids get an opportunity early and as long as they're ready, right? But, you know, there's something special about somebody performing at a high level. You know, Brady didn't have his best game, you know, last night. Who cares? Okay, that's fine he still made the right reads on, on about 90% of his throws. The first one was terrible. You know, he had trouble when he went to Hogan, there was some stuff that obviously limited him a little bit, but the fact that, that these guys are still executing, they're executing at a higher level than what Peyton Manning did when he won his final Super Bowl. You know, it, it was just, yeah. it's, it, that's impressive right there. What if that's how uh, Tom Brady uh, described his game? If he was like, I just, I, w- I wanted to give my old friend Peyton um, <laughs> a shout out and prove to him that not only am I better than you, but I also can win a Super Bowl later in my career yep. um, just as poorly as you did. Um, yeah. I-, I can do yeah. it too. See, I can be bad yeah. and win a Super Bowl too, Peyton. There's going to be. God, have you gone back and looked at his numbers that year? Like over the full season. Oh, that year terrible. was incredible how bad Peyton Manning was. He was just god awful and i i still just can't get over what he was able to do and like von miller and that defense and just carrying the corpse yeah. of peyton manning to the super bowl like it just oh, i encourage everyone amazing. to go back through the game by game numbers they're insane and the game where he passed the yardage mark the all time was it the all-time yardage mark i guess mm-hmm. was the game that he was like four for 20 passing with three picks i mean it was a miserable game whatever it was right it was one of the worst games of his career um, you know, the fact that Kubiak even went back to him that season still kind of boggles my mind. I mean, uh, you know, Osweiler was playing better than Peyton Manning was statistically. And, and up until that Raiders game that year, <laughs> it's like, how did that season happen? How, that, that season feels like it was some strange vacuum and, and that, you know, the Broncos defense was just that good. Well, I'm more interested in Peyton's um, shadowy figure that he has now in uh, the NFL circles. Like he's encouraging Christopher Johnson to hire Adam Gase, his old friend. Like he's buddy, buddy with Jimmy Haslam. I'm are we sure that Peyton Manning doesn't actually run the NFL and that Roger Goodell is just the um, standing uh, the commish when in reality, all the owners talk to Peyton. Like I'm growing more and more into the idea that maybe that's what Peyton's waiting for. What if that is his thing is he just wants to be commissioner. And he's just uh, doing it all himself. But these little nuggets where it's like, 
uh christopher johnson called peyton and asked him about gays and like he recommended him and yep. all this stuff like i wonder how many teams call peyton and we just have no idea the level of influence that he has over all these different personnel decisions in uh, football like the cardinals um were like hey what about cliff kingsbury peyton and uh, <laughs> yeah. peyton was like don't really know him but uh those red raiders they were fun to watch. i just i could see him having like this weird influence over all of these old white owners where they all just call oh. peyton love peyton and he just like recommends guys i i just i want a big story on this seth wickersham your next piece i've got it investigate how much power peyton manning has in all of these um owner like team front office groups because i feel like he has a bunch of power in a bunch of different front offices Oh, I actually started working on something, not exactly what you're talking about, but in the same vein of like, you know, th- there are a lot of people who believe, you know, that he is going to be the next team president, general manager, whatever, commissioner of a smaller league first. And then, you know, I mean, everybody, you know, obviously there was the broadcasting opportunity. People have tried to thrust Peyton into all these different jobs. And he's been very patient, very selective. Oh, he's going to be the next Elway or this or that he's patiently quietly kind of turned down opportunities in there, but I was kind of working on something and um, was actually supposed to get him on the phone for a story and then was told, okay, he's, he's not going to be able to talk and this and that. But I do feel that there's at least something of what you're saying to where he is kind of a quiet chess mover. And he's a smart guy yeah. and, and he's, he's a political guy too. He's cerebral, he's, man. He's very oh, yeah. political. People don't realize how much he gives to put like, I just, He's really good at what he does. And yet we couldn't even give him a job title right now. That's the funniest part, you know? But yeah, I think you're right. There is something to say about Peyton Manning and his, his, his word goes a long way. I think there's a way is a way to say it. I think people trust. He's a trusted brand. That's a good way of saying what Peyton Manning is right now. He's like, it's, it's bizarre. Um, but just, you heard it here first folks, Eric and I, I made the prediction that Peyton Manning is the next commissioner of the NFL. He and could be. His, hey, his, I don't know yeah. that he wants the job, but he he could he could certainly he could go campaign for it if he wanted to. Oh God. Um. Yeah. But um. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um. I am all about the Brian Flores hire in Miami. This. Yeah. It, he's moving on from New England. He got one year of coordinator experience. But I went back and read the Ian O'Connor piece from a year and a half ago on ESPN about the rising star and Brian Flores is just his upbringing in um, Brownsville and just his family uh, immigrating here from Honduras and just going up and down. Like he played running back and um, defensive back and linebacker. And then he became like a star defensive end. He's played every position. I like that when a court like defensive minded guy and you're like, Oh, he actually has an offensive mind. So he won't be like um, very rigid in his ideology and he's just well-rounded and all that kind of stuff. I, I think it might be okay. I like Brian Flores. I'm rooting for him. Great game plan. He might be the first Pats coordinator under the Belichick tree to break out. I'm talking myself into Brian Flores. I hope it works out. Yeah. Well, and Belichick cross-trained him first as a scout, second as an offensive assistant, then as a special teams assistant, yeah. and then as a defensive assistant. He's been he's done a little bit of everything. Not nobody's going to be Belichick. Okay, let's not let's not convince ourselves that there is. You know, we're past the point of Mangini or, or you know, Charlie Weiss or, or even Bill O'Brien, who's had the most success, I guess you would say, of all those guys. But still, I mean, there, there's something about this guy, just kind of a quiet resolve and confidence. And your no experience, emotion, he, very serious, yeah. strong game plan. 
he connects with players. I, he's 37. I don't know. I feel like he checks a lot of boxes for me. I like it. Yep. I think it might be okay. I think they have to get a quarterback, be, which uh, that matters. Is the best. This is the best. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the best head coaching hire they've made probably since Jimmy Johnson, you know, and I don't oh, wow. know that he'll ever be that good, okay. but I'm just saying it's the most inspired choice they've made. This is people are going to write it off as, Oh, just another Belichick assistant. I'm telling you, he's different. You and I are in lockstep on this one. Everybody I've talked to said, look, we don't know if he's ready yet because you never know. You know, it's like being ready to run for president. You don't know until you're on the job. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's something about him that is the actual DNA of what you need in the head coach. He doesn't have to be the, the next McVeigh. He doesn't have to be the defensive mastermind. He could be a little of everything and do it really well. Yeah, I agree. Eric, I appreciate you taking the time, sir. Um, Thank you. What can we read from you this week? Uh, did, what, what can we read from you at Pro Football Weekly? I uh, just wrote up what Flores did on defense. Uh, got a lot going on with the draft coming up. And uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of exciting times we head into free agency and the draft stuff. Is there any chance Nick Bosa doesn't go number one overall? There's a chance. Yeah, there could be a okay. trade or Quinn and Williams or somebody like that. I mean, it would take mm. it would take an unusual circumstance, but there's a chance. Okay. Who's the first quarterback taken? Mm, my gut says Dwayne Haskins right now, but again, we haven't really... I'll know more after the combine. Okay. I'm still going to say Kyler Murray. It could be, but you know, he's given GMs the willies with this whole waffling thing that he did. Super His Bowl dad, LeVar Ball 2.0, and that weird interview I mean, on Dan Patrick last week, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it sure is. I feel bad That's for great. him. You could tell he has no idea what to do here, and he's just trying to play it close. Like, Poorly I feel bad. advised. Yep. There's absolutely something to that. All right, Eric, I appreciate it. And uh, let's talk again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.